0: Hi friend, welcome to this week's podcast from the First Baptist Church of Nokomis, where we are building the kingdom of God through the lives of everyday people. If you are new, you can visit our website at fbcnokomis.com. Click on our visitor information page to sign up for our e-newsletter or to learn more about our ministries. We also invite our regular listeners to partner with us and support our digital ministries by clicking the give-up. How many of you have... Somewhere in your brain, argued with somebody this past week who thinks they know more than you. Now, maybe you've argued with them out loud, but most of us kind of have that internal conversation, that internal story, and you're arguing. With you. <laughs> and I know how it's supposed to be, and I'm right. I mean, I've had this conversation with people who come back after something and they say, I know I'm right. And I will say, why? And they will say, because I looked on WebMD and the doctor is wrong. like, is she, is the doctor really wrong? "Eh." Yeah, I'm dying. What? I looked on WebMD and I have seven of the 47 symptoms and they say that's a percentage of which could be that you have this dying disease. Anybody had that? Some of you are teachers in the world. Anybody in the medical profession, you know that's true, right? The patient's always smarter than you. How many of your are teachers or in the, in, in the teaching community and your kids, when they go home to their parents and you do a parent-teacher conference, guess who's wrong in the parent-teacher conference? Not the child, <laughs> oh no. No, the parent is not coming with little Johnny to say, hey, he's a little behind, we're gonna have to, what do I need to know that I can get him to figure out? No, <laughs> it's teacher, teacher, what's going on? Why is my kid falling behind? And teachers really want it, because he's not very bright. You want to say it. You can't say it. You want to say it. You can't say it. This is the thing we live in. It is now in a world that we question everything and everyone. And we don't know how to come to a collective truth as a result. That's very difficult. So I want to just give you an overview of John chapter 15 that if you wanna look it up in your Bible, this is known, I'm gonna give you a, I'm gonna give you a quick overview, kind of that 40,000 foot view, so that when you get into Acts chapter 15, if you've missed a Sunday and you're wondering, how do we, we are doing this thing in Acts and I was on Acts three, how do we get to Acts 15? I'm gonna give you a quick overview. So here's the way Luke set up Acts. And this is kind of gonna give us our review again. In the, the book of Acts, we get this one bridge book that connects Jesus to the early church. All the rest of the books in the New Testament are are sort of prescribed to the church that's already established. Even though they're young churches, Paul is basically saying, I'm not telling you about our, our conception story. I'm telling you about how you will grow the church where you're at. So Luke wrote the book of Acts and he said, Dear Theophilus, this has to be written down so people can remember how we went from Jesus to church. So let me play this out for you. This is really cool how he set it up. First of all, he says in Acts chapter 1, this is the commission. Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to ascend into heaven, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is ascending but empowering the early church. Now, I'm going through the odd chapters. Kind of a fun play on words that it's a bit of an odd way to live the way the church lives but also because it's a big book. So let's just go through these odd chapters and point out how they all play a role in this early church story. So Jesus commissions the early church. Acts chapter three, Peter heals a lame man. Now I've told you that is hopeful, not helpful, right? Everyone wants help these days, but they want help with silver and gold. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. In Acts chapter three, we're finding out that Peter is able to do what Jesus could do. So the early church is now empowered by the Holy Spirit to do as Jesus had done, right? This is the coach basically saying, I'm not gonna be on the court with you, I'm gonna coach you off court, and I wanna see you participate in the game the way I have taught you. I wanna see how well you do it. I can't do it for you, right? That's Jesus, Acts one, Acts three. Acts five is Ananias and Sapphira. First, deceit in the church. And that's where Luke is pointing out the church can't exist with deceitfulness. Now, most people think it's about the money. It has nothing to do with the money. It's the fact that Ananias and Sapphira lied about the money they were giving. And so you all know they dropped down dead, right? They just died. So little, everybody got the message out of that? Don't lie in church. <laughs> don't do it. Probably should tell your children that story if you don't want them to lie at home either. Look what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? It's Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 7. You will be persecuted for this new way of living, the first martyr Stephen. Acts chapter 9. But God will take the worst of people and make them a vessel for his message that Saul Road to Damascus, has a 180, that turn around, and all of a sudden he becomes this great advocate for Jesus. Instead of persecuting Christians, he becomes a Christian. Acts chapter 11, that is Cornelius. That's the story of the first Gentile convert. Notice what Luke is saying. He's sort of pushing this, this gospel narrative out beyond Jerusalem, and he's saying it's going to go to the Gentiles. So Acts chapter 13, the first missionary journey, Paul and, si- Paul and Barnabas, They go outside of Jerusalem and to Greco-Roman culture. And then Acts chapter 15. That is pinnacled in the middle of the Acts story. We're climbing to this point, and then from here it is being pushed out. Acts chapter 15 is how to have a difficult conversation and pursue the truth. It's called the Jerusalem's Council. Here's how it began. Acts 15, certain people, verse 1, came down from Judea uh, to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you're circumcised, you cannot be saved. Here's the issue. They wanted to say, here's the truth. Jesus was king of the Jews, so while we believe in Jesus, we believe he is the fulfillment of our Judaism. So if you want to be a part of Jesus, you have to be circumcised like other Jews who are circumcised. That was the argument. Look at what it says about Paul and Barnabas. They've been on this mission trip. They've seen Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. They say in Acts 15, verse 2, they're in sharp dispute and debated with the Judaizers. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem to see what the apostles and the elders would say. They went and had a Jerusalem's council. They had an issue at stake. They presented it. And it was supposed to be at the Jerusalem's council that they found a solution. This chapter speaks volumes to the way we come to solutions in our world today. And I got to admit, it means that we have to appreciate counsel. We can't question everyone and everything all the time. We have to believe that there are people in a position of wisdom and authority that can speak into our lives. We have turned that on its head. We have given over to the mob mentality that if you scream loud enough and there's enough people who scream with you, then you're right. Even if what you're saying is that the sky is green and the grass is blue, scream it loud enough and scream it with the more people you can and you will be speaking truth. That's what we have today. Um, Diane Feinstein is a, uh, a Democrat in California. She's been in uh, the Senate for some 30 years. She's in her late 80s, by the way. She welcomed an elementary school. The class came to her uh, U.S. office, I mean, uh, in Washington, D.C., and they came to speak with her and meet her, and it just happened, and it seems, if you watch a video of this, that it's a bit of a setup, and they've sort of set her up on this, like, this is going to be a a surprise moment for the senator, and it goes into the direction of the, the Green New Deal, and the question is, how come you're not voting yes on the Green New Deal, And Diane Feinstein, Senator Feinstein says, well, there's things in it that I'm not sure we can pay for. At that, she lost it. The mob, children, challenged her. They said, but our earth is dying. One child says, 12 years and the earth will be no more. You know, it's this over-the-top extraordinary. We have no other choice but to decide this now. Diane Feinstein, being 88 years old, says, whoa, first of all, I've been doing this a lot longer than you been doing this for 30 years when she tried to explain that while it's a good idea in what we do to save the earth it's a bad idea to spend your future doing it oh it didn't matter teachers kids it was the mob they just jumped out ahead of her here's the thing i want to invite this morning the emphasis with that group was not on pursuing truth because if it were, and if I put words into Diane Feinstein's mouth, wouldn't it be great if she just said, hey, we should save the earth. Every one of you, give up your cell phones. By the way, did you know that it's danger to our earth right now, the fact that people renew and get a new iPhone every year? Like, if you took your phone and you wanted to save the earth, you'd let it last you 10 years. You would save the earth if we didn't make more of those deadly batteries that we put into everything we have to have, like iPhones, iPads. You think the kids would have gone for that? And if you had said, and, you only get one bath a week. Now the kids might have gone for that. Why? Because we're killing the earth with all all the water usage. And by the way, how did you get to the Capitol building? Oh, we got on a bus. It takes a lot of fuels and fossil fuels. Okay, so when you guys, you get what I'm saying? We present hypocrisy when we think that we can solve the world's problems with a very simple solution that is really an us versus them. They didn't go to respect the senator who is in a position of counsel. They went to hoodwink the conversation, if you will, to turn it on its head. We're always right. All they did is, I read at WebMD, I know that I'm dying, doctor. Why aren't you doing something about it? Right? My, my child isn't wrong, teacher. You're wrong. I get this all the time in the church. I'm never right, guys. Never. I'm the dumbest pastor you have ever met. Because by the extent of it, every time I talk to people who want to talk about theology, guess who does the most talking? The other person. I mean, they'll, they'll say things like, well, what I believe is. Okay, what do you believe? And where do you find that in the Bible? I don't first David. I'm like, there's no first David. There should be. Okay. Where are we going with that? Because like, I don't know. Well, it happened in the Jerusalem's council. Let me give you the paraphrase. The Judaizers, they went to the early church and they said, hey, they need to be circumcised. Peter stands up and he says, now he's the council with the apostles. He says, whoa! Let me give you some insight to this. You can't have them get circumcised to be saved. Why not? Follow the train of thought. You guys ready for this? Peter says, because we screwed it up. Why would we put the yoke of burden on Gentiles that we as Jews didn't live up to? Why did Jesus come in the first place? Because we couldn't obey the law. Well, if we couldn't obey the law, then why would getting circumcised work? It's like, it's like saying to somebody say like today, you go, hey, You need a blockbuster card if you're going to have a Netflix account. What? No, it doesn't work. No. Obeying the law by being circumcised that was supposed to work didn't work. Peter was pointing out the reason Jesus came is because we needed grace because we couldn't live by the law. So how is it we would hold people to the law that we broke in order for them to be like us? That doesn't work. So Peter challenges. If you're going to argue with the culture we live in, a couple of things you're going to need. First of all, you need good counsel. Not only did Peter speak in good counsel about this framework of Jesus Christ, James stepped up. James quoted the Old Testament. James defended the position that said we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, by the way. Saved by grace through faith so that you cannot boast. It is the work of Jesus Christ. Perfect. Perfect. We have a council to which we go with our questions, and then we have a supporting answer to why Jesus is not demanding we be circumcised in order to be Christians. I had this challenge as a young pastor. We did baptisms early on, and I talked to the deacons, and I said, wait, what we're doing is wasting a lot of water. You know, I kind of, I'm kind of an earth, you know, want to save the earth too. In fact, I think Christians are some of the, we should be the best stewards of the earth anyway. We had this big baptismal, and we fill it up, and somebody wanted to get baptized, we just baptize on that Sunday, and then Jim Holler, if you guys, some of you might remember this, he'd get up there, he never held the microphone right, he always stuck it out of the belly button, <laughs> so he'd say, I got going to pass up a member join the church, but <laughs> the mic, and Jim would get it, and he'd go, we need to make a motion to accept so-and-so into membership of the church. Well, my concern was, we did it in sort of this, the moment of the spirit, but sometimes with blended families. Uh, we even had one baptism that a young man came forward, wanted to be baptized that morning, and his mom had to call uh, her ex and say, hey, so-and-so's getting baptized, do you want to see it? So I think, it was, I think Bev was playing. I think I just talked about this not too long ago. Bev was playing, and she had to play a long time because we had to wait until the dad showed up. And then, we could do, and then I loved it because we go, do you? Yeah. Pfft, baptized up. That was it. Thanks for coming. I said, we had to organize this. We organized it so that now, when we had the baptism class, we went the other direction and we said, hey, they can't get baptized, they didn't take the class. And here's another one. They're living together, they're living in sin, they can't take the class, they can't get baptized. And I started to mull this over and go, I think we just created the Judaizers of the first first century. Right? Like, we want them to know who Jesus Christ is, but they're not going to get baptized because they do a series of works. What are we teaching them? If they make a true confession, and then we put them off. Now, don't get me wrong. The church is going to have this debate. We have this counsel and this argument. But here's the way I came around to a solution. Out of that argument, out of that discussion with counsel with the deacons, we came to the conclusion and said, look, let's stop putting the answers on them. Let's let them tell the story. In fact, some of you do not like the fact that I had you tell this story in person, on video. I've made you share it. And I get somebody, not naming any names, Casey, who tell me, We need to keep doing it like that because she had to do it like that. And it can't be enough that you write a couple of sentences, put it in a paragraph, and we're going to put it in the bulletin. They need to stand right here and tell their story. Janice shaking her head just like, yes, they do. Yeah, now. (laughs) So we invited them to tell their story. We said, look, we don't have to fix. We don't have to get you fixed before you love Jesus. It's not how grace works. But you do have to tell us the story. Can you tell us why Jesus is your Lord and Savior? And it changed everything. By inviting people to tell their story, it, it cemented their, their true meaning of baptism. Like they, they confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. And even though they're not perfect they have their life together, it, it was a more authentic baptism. So that's what the early church was struggling with. How do we do this? How do we hold people accountable and have certain practices? Well, one, you need to go to a council. Two, you need to support your position. And here's the big one. You ready for this? you got to take conditions and set them apart from content. All right. How many of you ever been to that argument and somebody dies into process rather than product? Now, I know this may not catch you. Here's the way this works. I had a young lady in CEO, and uh, she was uh, telling me that she wasn't going to be at CEO two days from now because of family circumstances that did not involve a crisis. It was just convenience. And I said, "Mm, that's not how that works. We treat it like a business. You can't give me a two-day notice that you're not going to be here. That's not a legitimate reason to not be at CEO. And she began to argue with me. And she said, you don't understand what my family's been going through. And I said, what you probably shouldn't say. I don't care what your family's been going through. It's not a crisis. It's not an emergency. I'll see you on Friday. (gasps) You don't like my family. I don't care about your family. Why don't you care about my family? Because they're your family. They're not my family. But it matters to me. You see where this went? I'm like, this is, this is a little bit like, okay, just don't go away mad. Just go away. She left. She did come on Friday. She came up. Had to have the conversation again. You hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything that I would want to say. Filter, 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 filter. I said, how was that? I thought she was going to argue about the fact that I didn't let her have the day off and she was going to defend her position that she deserved the day off. No. She said, you didn't say goodbye. I'm like, 180. What are you talking about? She says, because I do. I always, I welcome the kids when they show up. I say goodbye when they leave. She left in such a hush. She's so mad at me. She just left. And I'm like, well, I kind of got my feelings hurt too. So I'm like, whatever. I'm like, actually, I'm just sort of trying to figure out the smoke. You know, just right there and the whole big emotional stuff. You're like, what just happened? I just told you you gotta be here on Friday, right? She made it about the conditions, not the content. Anybody ever done that? What you said might be true, but how you said it was so mean and hurtful, this does not matter, right? The kids with Dianne Feinstein just wanted to win. They just wanted to prove to somebody who should be counsel and should have the wisdom of experience that they were smarter, better, they knew what was best. This is the challenge we have in the world today. We think of conditions over content. We think of our emotions over reality. Our emotions are only what matters. In the early church, the Judaizers, we call this the victim-villain scenario. The victim is, any of you have ever gotten your feelings hurt, you become the victim. So the reason you have a right to argue back or to be passive-aggressive, by the way, is because they hurt your feelings. And you're a victim. Or how many of you have done this? They're the villain. A dad tells a story of his son. He wanted this windbreaker. It was a very expensive windbreaker. They're on vacation, so he paid the gazillion dollars. He bought the windbreaker for his son. His son is eating breakfast with waffles, wearing the windbreaker, very proud of it. But waffles, you use syrup. He happened to be eating in such a way that the syrup was dripping down onto his brand new windbreaker. The dad is struggling with this. Does he have any idea to spend a gazillion dollars on the windbreaker? Does he have any idea that I... that I made sacrifices, that I did what I'm supposed to do for him. Now, two things were happening. He was the victim. He was the one saying, oh, I spent all this money on these people and they don't appreciate it. Woe is me. But what did he also do? That disrespectful, ungrateful teenager made the teenager a villain. Anybody ever done that? You ever had a spouse that's the villain? Oh, they did it on purpose. You know, your, your child. I, I said that when my kid was two. I'm like, toddlers do it on purpose. They throw that tantrum and they flop around and you're like, stop, you're embarrassing me. I look at my wife and I go, he's doing it on purpose. (laughs) No, he's not doing it on purpose. He just wants a cookie. Finally, the son catches, the father catches himself. Instead of focusing on the conditions, what were his emotions in the moment, he draws out of that the conversation back to content. Does my son, he's ruining a very, so he stops and he says, son, do you realize that you're getting syrup all over your new windbreaker? My son looks down. He was mortified. Dad, can, can, can we clean it? Will it come out? Totally changed the condition of the conversation focusing on the content, didn't it? All of a sudden, the dad goes, he's not the villain. He's just a dork of a teenager who doesn't realize to pay attention when he's eating syrup. He didn't mean to make a mess. it. he wasn't trying to take it for granted, changes things, doesn't it? If you do that in relationships... Sometimes you need to seek counsel. They always say, a woman civilizes a man. I will tell you, good men civilize men. So ladies, take that. You need good men to speak into men and speak into their lives. When I speak about good counsel, some of the best thing you can have is men who have been married, had the experience, and have a good marriage, and you open up the conversation to say, how do you do it? Now think about it. We don't normally do that. Why? Because we live in the world that you do GTS, right? You Google that stuff. I'm not gonna ask somebody, but oh, I'll just look it up. Bet there's a really good blog or YouTube video about how it'd be a able... Oh, this guy's making fun of his wife. That's hilarious. Ha! And then all of a sudden it goes to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. You know, what counsel do you get? No, good counsel with somebody who's been there, done that. A husband, women, wives, parenting. We need good counsel and we need good counsel that can support the positions that we're talking about. It is an utter and unashamed attack on family today. Family at the bedrock of a husband and wife who have the responsibility of procreating, creating children, raising children. We have all the blendedness that we see in the world today but if we don't get back to the fact that there is something about raising our children with that influence or where we need the influence and it may be missing, to just eradicate it and say no. This is the new modern age. You can create it any way you want. That's mob speech. That's not truth. And the truth will set you free. So the early church has the Jerusalem's council. They come together and they say we have an issue. We need to address it. Our culture today has all kinds of issues. Gender dysphoria, race. You can speak about what right now is all the stuff. In all Council. We need to have good, honest conversation. We need to support our answers with Scripture, with common sense. And here's the last one I want you to take with this. You want to have good counsel. You want to focus on content, not condition. And you want to propose new outcomes. See, the Judaizers didn't know anything different. They said, if there's more people driving on the road, we have to have more roads. But Jesus came to teach us how to fly. See the difference? The grace of Jesus Christ wasn't to make more rules, it was to show us that we could live more freely. And while there are still laws that govern the skies, it's a totally different way to live than it is to just constantly add more rules to the added people in vehicles, right? So, what are the new and creative propositions? Well, they came out of it and they said basically this You're not gonna eat the blood of, of, you're not gonna eat meat sacrificed to idols. You're not going to eat meat that still has the blood in it. That was strangled animals. I don't want to get into it, but all of this was for the practice of worshiping idols. right? Strangled animals was basically to say when you ate the blood in the meat, you were absorbing the power of that animal. So if a bull was sacrificed, when you ate the meat of the bull and the blood was still in the meat, by eating the meat with the blood, the Roman Greco culture believed you were absorbing that animal and the God's power that that animal represented and was sacrificed to. So the early church came out of the Jerusalem's council, and they said, no, you don't have to be circumcised to be a part of the early church. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to not worship or show any sort of resemblance of worshiping other gods. It is Christ alone. And if you do that, we will accept the Gentiles, we'll accept the believers. The church from there went into this fire of growth. And spreading around the Roman Empire. Even amidst persecution and heavier persecution. Because they figured out an agreement that said, look, we're going to all be different, Jews and Gentiles. But we are going to worship Christ alone. That's our story. So, if you are struggling with some of the conversations that are around the world today, seek counsel. Good counsel. Speak to it in terms of content. Not simply the conditions. Understand the conditions in the world in which we live. But ask the question, I need truth. Even if it hurts my feelings, I need to pursue the truth, right? John a 32, the truth will what? Set you free. I seek the truth, good counsel, and then out of it will come unusually remarkable new propositions in how we can live. Your marriage will be better. Your parenting will be better. Your w- relationship with coworkers will be better if you do those simple things. Seek the counsel. Focus on content, what is truth in the situation. And then, of course, be willing to listen to God's new propositions, new ideas that maybe you didn't consider before. And trust me, those relationships that you're struggling with will become incredibly meaningful. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, when we consider the work of the church, so much has been made about the conditions in which we share the gospel, style of worship, the experience of worship. I'd ask this morning, while style is important, while we do things because we enjoy them a certain way, It is not more important than the substance. We live in a day and age that we desperately need to pursue truth. And we have to do it not with the condition of hypocrisy, not with the condition of arrogance, but with the content of our character as it aligns with your presence, Jesus. The person of Jesus Christ. This is our creed. This is our credence. This is our belief. That we can honor you in how we live. And in doing so, you will create solutions to these very challenging times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. See you next time. And remember, God is building his kingdom through the lives of everyday people just like you.